0: This morning we're sort of starting a series, I was sort of a bit reluctant to actually call it a series because it's sort of like a few different messages on different things but really what the whole point I want us to start to think about is being called and chosen by God. Called and chosen by God um, because I think it's so important for us as Christians to remember that we are actually called. There might be some people out there today and you're like, uh, you know, I don't know what my calling is. Hopefully over the next few weeks you'll go, oh, well maybe I can see where God is moving in my life, what he's called me to. And I think one of the things that I really want to, to get across during this series is that often when we think calling, we're like, oh, there's something huge for God to do through me. You know, God's got this big plan for my life. I'm going to be you know this amazing whatever it might be in whatever area of the world that I'm going to make such a significant drastic change to the world that i 'm going to leave a legacy, and my name will be honored all around the world, um, but I think there's sometimes this struggle in in Christians to think that we have to be big, you know, go big or go home. It's sort of like, well, if I can't be big for God, i'm going home I 'm doing nothing for him and it's firstly about. This week is going to be really about God has actually chosen you. God has actually chosen you to be in his kingdom. He's called you into his kingdom and he's called you to certain things, which we'll look at further down the road. But this week, I just want to talk about the being chosen by God. This is sometimes a bane of contention um, amongst Christians, like that God just chooses some people and not others. But the parable today that we're going to be looking at really, I think, shows quite clearly that God chooses everyone. There's not one person on this planet that God hasn't chosen to be in his kingdom. Every single person is someone that God wants to have a relationship with. But then at the end of this parable, Jesus will say something. He says that many are called, but few are chosen. And it's almost like, well, you know, he calls everyone, but really he's only got those certain few that that he wants in his kingdom. It's not like that at all. And the parable is, as we start looking at it, is about a wedding feast that Jesus is describing and um, the, the attitude of people towards the invitation to it. Um, I don't know if you guys know what a, a celebration is like. I hope that sometime during your life you've had a chance to celebrate. Um, and one of my favourite verses in Ecclesiastes, which I've shared before, uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 7 and 8 says, So go ahead, eat your food with joy, drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this, wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. And what I love about it is that this sort of shows that heart of God that our, our life is not meant to be just one big fat misery, that, that he wants us to understand that there's something better for us, there's this feast, there's this, this life ahead of us if we just make the, I guess, the decision that we are going to live it, and think that, you know what, this verse, why I like it, it says, for God approves of this. He likes you to be happy. He likes you to have food and, and wine. Um, he wants you to wear fine clothes and put on a splash of cologne, grab your wife, go out to dinner, celebrate with your friends and family. And there's something really amazing about dressing up for special occasions, isn't there? Do you reckon? Maybe not for the blokes. I don't know. But you know, like when there's a special occasion on, like a wedding or something, my, my wife, she's got at least you know, five dresses she can choose from and, and we'll go through them and is this the right one, is this the right one, I want to look my best for this day and, and myself, I'm all excited to say so I have my one pair of trousers that I've had for 100 years, I'll try and find a shirt that actually still fits, um, that, that will look nice. Look for one of those things they call ties. Have you heard of them? Apparently if you put them on you're smarter and more prominent and it makes you a better person. So I look in my cupboard for a tie and of course nothing will match. And one of my big things is usually I'll get there and I'm like, Oh, I don't have a belt. (laughs) Every single time it's like, where do all my belts go? I never wear them, but I don't seem to have a belt. And I can tell you right now, when you're dressed up for a special occasion and you've got your nice black trousers on and a shirt and you're tucking it in and everything and you don't have a belt, it's really weird but you feel naked. It's like, you're like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to be looking at me because I don't have a belt and there's this sort of sense of you know, embarrassment and shame. I haven't got the right clothes on. Um, I don't know if any of you have done that, but I've done that at a wedding, like taking the wedding, not being at a wedding. <laughs> but, but I got to the church and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got no belt. And so I got my jacket around, you know, to hide the fact that I didn't have a belt. But there's something special about the feasts that we've been invited to. Revelations talks about it as the, uh, the uh, wedding feast of the Lamb that we've all been invited to. Those of the kingdom of God have been invited to um, this wedding feast of the Lamb, which is just so amazing. And God has this prepared for us, for those who follow after him, that, you know, our afterlife after this life is going to be one of absolute, complete joy, complete celebration where, you know, we're not held back anymore because We are now out of this body, we've been transformed into these new people, we've risen from the dead just as Christ did, and and we're living in his kingdom, and it's going to be this amazing place of celebration where God's rule and reign is finally fully established. And we're able to walk in that, imagine that, you know, we've talked about it before, a place where there's no sorrow, no pain, no misery, no regret, we're living in a place where there's no sickness, there's no fighting, there's no hatred, there's no wars, There's no drug problem on the streets, there's no violence or murders, anything like that, but the kingdom of God, this beautiful place where everything is made whole. That is the invitation that's been thrown out to us to enjoy this wedding feast with the Lamb. Now, if I describe that to you right now, you're like, man, I'm in. I'm going there. And you would think it almost ridiculous that there'd be people that would say, Oh, I don't know if I really want to attend that. That doesn't sound like much fun. But but if we think about it, that's exactly what is happening in the world around us, isn't it? That every time someone rejects the invitation of God through Jesus Christ into the family of God, that's exactly what's happening. They're saying, I don't want it. I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of that great wedding feast. I don't want to sit with Jesus. I don't want to sit with all the saints and enjoy life everlasting. I am actually going to do something else. And we might think, well, that's not me. That's not me. I'm, I'm all in 100%. But this is where I'm starting to, to uh, move on this series. It's really about, first of all, have you really chosen God? Because I don't know who's sitting here today. There's some people here who are fully in. They're like, I've chosen God. I know that, that, that Jesus died for me. I've accepted that forgiveness. I'm being transformed into the person that God wants me to be. There's others that are sitting here and they're like, they came to the feast. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. But you see no transformation, no change. You, you see others that maybe even sitting here this morning that, oh, I've heard about that Jesus guy. I've heard about the invitation. But actually, I'm a little bit busy for that right now. I've got far more pressing needs than my eternal salvation. Things that are happening here right now on earth in this, you know, maximum 120 years that I'm living here, I'd much rather do that than actually live forever and celebrate with Jesus and and the saints. That's not what I'm going to do. So when we start looking at this story, um, Jesus was actually sitting at the table in a Pharisee's house as a Sabbath and... They were talking about things and Jesus was noticing what was happening in, in that meeting and there's this jostling for position around the table. You know, it's like, oh, I want to sit in the most prominent place. I want to be there up front. I want to be, you know, pushing up front, just like happens here in the church. As you can see, the front rows are, no, they're not full. But there, there's this, this sense in, in this feast, you know, we're going to be prominent. And Jesus was looking at that and he he started talking about that. He said, guys, you know, when you have a feast, you know, don't jostle for that front table, the best position, because if you do, you just might be told, uh, sorry, that seat's reserved. Can you please move back? And that's actually pretty embarrassing. But if you have this humble way of doing things, you might be asked to actually move to a better position and that's, you know, actually pretty cool. And so Jesus was sort of digging at that with the Pharisees, but he had a far more important story that he wanted to tell them that was going to open up as he started to talk about that. Because then, at the end, it's almost like one of them, as if to break the silence or the awkwardness of that moment, said, "Yes, blessed is those who attend the wedding feast of the Lamb at the end of the world, or you know, for, for what is happening in the kingdom, the, the feast of the kingdom." And, and Jesus started to talk about people being invited to that feast. And the story itself is actually very pointed at the Jewish leaders of the time because it, as you read through it, you'll notice you know, that, it, that if we put on our little caps about what Jesus is really saying, that through the parable, Jesus is revealing a truth through the common things that are around him, which is uh, that people can draw out a truth from it. And the truth was that he was talking about Israel, the Jews and rejecting christ and that then the gentiles would be invited into the kingdom and then even some of them might not make it in and why that would be but don't you love the fact that god chose you god chose you and we're going to read from matthew this story which is also in luke Uh, so in luke it's in luke chapter 14 in matthew it's in chapter 22 all right Matthew twenty two, one to fourteen. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast being prepared, the bulls and fatted cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready. The guests I invited aren't worthy of the honour. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed the man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that when you are here, that you are here without wedding clothes? <coughs> he might have forgot his belt. But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet, throw him into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen." So here we have Jesus giving a real-life illustration. People would understand it. There's a wedding feast, and back in those days, the wedding feast was planned, but the invitations went out. It was almost like a save the date, if you've ever got them. You know, save the date's coming up. So, but in that save the date, no one knew exactly when the feast was going to be. The, the actual time was not set yet, but it was like, hey, guys, get ready. And then he sent out his servants, tell them that it's now, come. And so we could all, all by analogy, just say, well, God's made all things ready for us to come and receive him. So when we look at that, we can obviously see that this is about us being invited into the kingdom of God as well, right? And everything's ready. There's nothing now to stop you entering into the kingdom of God, because God had invited everybody from, you know, the first that were his first guests, but then... Those who are everywhere, you know, go to the highways, the byways and compel them to come. And if we think about that in terms of the kingdom, that means that salvation must be available to everyone. Everyone has the opportunity to choose God, to choose the banquet. But it seems to me that it's not so much God not wanting people to come until he found out they weren't worthy of coming and he was like, I just can't have you here. But the invitation went out to every single person. Not one person was was exempt from the salvation that is going to be offered. So we're translating it over to the the story of salvation. Jesus died for the sin of every person. He died for every sin. He died that every person should be saved. and, And we can see that in the Bible when God says that it is his will that every person be saved. It's his will. And yet we know that that's not happening, that that not everybody in this world has accepted Jesus Christ. In fact, we can see that that a lot of people have actually rejected Jesus Christ and become his enemy, not wanting anything to do with him. But everything is ready. We come to God and we find that he has been ready for us. We should be excited about this that God's invited everybody. We should be excited that, that the message of the gospel is not restricted to a class of people, a race of people, a gender, anything like that, but that God's love is for every person. For God so loved the world. That is such an exciting thought. That means that when we understand how God thinks, we can go, wait a minute, the invitation to Christ is something that I can spread to everyone with absolute confidence confidence that God wants you saved. Any person that you are talking to, the best person, the worst person, God has prepared a table for them. And that's such an exciting thought because when we think about how we share the gospel, it's not as though God's saying, don't share it with these people or those people. He's saying, share it. But wait, are they going to choose God? People make the choice. In that parable, Jesus talks about the different people and the ones that he invited, first of all. What happened with them? Hey, I, you know, I've got a workplace I've got to go to. My, my business is important. Um, maybe it's, you know, my, my possessions are important. And if we look at the other, um, the, the other story of this parable, you'll find that they made excuses like this. I've just bought some new oxen. I want to go and see how they perform I've just bought a new field, I'm going to inspect it, I just got married, I've got a wife, I don't have time to go to this feast. But those excuses are so flimsy and hollow because who buys ox without knowing how they're going to perform? You don't just go and buy a random ox and then go and see how it performs. Who goes and buys a field without inspecting it first? It's like The excuses that people had were very shallow but but important to them. The things of this world are far more important to me than the things of the kingdom. If we think about that in the wedding feast, say, look, I've got better things to do than come to your wedding feast, but this is the king inviting them. Can you imagine if you were invited to the king's wedding feast or his son's wedding feast? So they're both married, aren't they? But let's say the king had another man who wasn't married, was a son, and he sent out invitations to you personally. It's like you get this invitation in the mail, come to the royal wedding, come and enjoy the feast. This isn't just an invitation to an everyday person's wedding. This is like one of the highest honours you could get. I don't know if you've ever been invited to anything where it's a high honour and you get that invitation you'd be like wow this is amazing i have to get there it's like of the most important this is the most powerful person in that country saying come to the wedding now first of all i would go because i would know there would be awesome food right regardless of anything else <laughs> the food would be great the entertainment would probably be wonderful Everything would be done well. It would be, you know, the most fancy everything and it would be just a spectacle to go and see it. Now, this is the invitation that we've been given every person on this world. But do you know what? Some people are like, royal wedding, whatever. I've got better things to do. And so what we find is throughout this story, there's three different types of people. They're either indifferent like that one there, the person that says, you know, oh, whatever, royal wedding, doesn't matter. I've actually got better things to do. Or they're even worse than that, they're antagonistic. So you see, when when the king sent out those other servants, what happened to them? They got beaten, they got murdered. All because they're inviting them to a wedding. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'd hate that I would be that evil. You're invited to a wedding feast. What? I'm going to kill you for saying that. It's like, it's just almost ridiculous. But there was a hatred that built in the heart of those people towards the king. And the last one that we haven't looked at yet is those that are unchanged. Unchanged. Those three types of people The ones that were indifferent, so what? It's just God. Those that were antagonistic, I hate God. Those that are unchanged. The unchanged person is represented by the one who's in that wedding feast that 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 the king looked at and said, what are you doing here? You're at a wedding feast. There's special garments that you should have had. Now there's some conjecture as to you know, the fact that in those days that people would actually be given a wedding garment by the, the king. So they'd come to the wedding and he'd say, wear this, put this on. But that person there that came into the feast that, that was undressed is like a person who says, I'm a Christian, but never changes. They've been invited into the life of Christ. They, they make some sort of like fake declaration, I'm a Christian, Um, but yet you look at their lives and what happens? Nothing. It's like they're still wearing the filthy, dirty garments of the person who has never known Jesus Christ. They haven't received the righteousness of Christ. They've never walked into his promises and they've refused to change anything in their life. And I want to look at those things probably next time I speak about, you know, that call that we have into a certain lifestyle, that That Jesus Christ has called us into things like you've been called to peace you've been called to love things that that are very uh very practical in terms of like just living out the Christian life you see so many Christians are going what do you want me to do God and he's saying how about you just quit smoking how about you stop being aggressive towards other people on the road how about You just change the way you treat people in your workplace. How about you stop swearing at everyone? How about you start, you know, praying for some people? How about you make these steps towards knowing who I am? Do you really think that God's going to trust you with the riches of heaven, with a great calling, if you can't even do that? if you can't be obedient in the small things, do you really think that God is going to entrust anything further to you? I don't think so. And even if you're in charge of a workplace and you look at your workers and you see the faithful one and the unfaithful one, the one who gets there five minutes late, leaves five minutes early, does nothing all day, and the other one who puts in all day hard, tries to please the boss, who's going to get promoted first? Who's going to be the one that's given more responsibility? Just in a natural way of thinking, we know for sure it's going to be the one who's obedient to the master. And yet sometimes as Christians, we're struggling with this whole thing of what's the call of God in my life? What's this great thing God's got for me? How about this? Just do what he asks in the first place. Firstly, your ears are not open to the call anyway because your heart is already seared and you're not changing. It's like God saying this is the first thing that you need to understand. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God and remain the same. It's just not possible. Paul talks about it as the life of the spirit and the life of the flesh. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but Paul talked about this whole thing of the spirit and the flesh. The flesh is basically the me part of me that just wants to do what I want. The Spirit is the Spirit of God leading me. And he says there's always this tension between it. You know, if I'm following after the Spirit of God, it leads to life and peace. If I follow after the Spirit of the flesh, which is like just so selfish, self-serving, and if you want to call from God, it's never for his benefit. It's so that you can be recognized and important in some place. But it leads to death and destruction. But he says this, which is so wonderful, because we, we don't, we, we're not two split personalities. But it says, if you live in the Spirit, you will, not, um, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does that mean? It means if you truly follow after God, don't worry about that stuff. Because following the Spirit of God automatically gets rid of all the rubbish in your life. And we would often try and get rid of that rubbish, right? We're going to take the rubbish out and then we'll follow after God. God's saying this, come into the kingdom. You've been chosen. You've been chosen by the king to come into the kingdom. But as you come into the kingdom, remember this, that the kingdom requires a change of heart. You cannot be indifferent as a Christian. You can't just think, Christianity doesn't matter. I remember once when I was listening to a Keith Green song so challenging and it's talking about the risen Christ, you know, as we've been talking about him over Easter and it says Jesus rose from the dead and you you can't even get out of bed. And I was like, holy moly. <laughs> is that me? Do the things of God mean that little to me that I see someone who gave his life for me and rose from the dead for my salvation and I can't even be bothered getting out of of bed to do anything spiritual? It was so challenging to me. But what it points out is that some people are just fakers. They come because they're invited, but only in appearance. The banquet that was set before the people in this this parable was intended to honour the king's son. But this man that that the Bible's talking about meant nothing of the kind. He didn't want to do it. He's willing to eat the good things set before him, so I want to be a Christian because I want God's blessing. But in his heart there was no love either for the king or his well-beloved son. I want to see all of us get into that wedding feast, the first step. If you are not a Christian, if you have not accepted the salvation from God, your first step is to accept it today. Stop making excuses as to why you won't come to Jesus. I've got too much life to live, I've got to experience all these things and then I might come to Jesus. You've been invited in. There's a danger that you will miss out on that feast if you don't make a decision today to follow after him. Maybe you hate God. You look around and you think, well, God's mean, he's horrible, why are so many bad things happening in the world, and somehow we blame God for it all, and it's not his fault. It's the sin of man that has caused it. Yeah, we want to blame him, and we, our heart is actually pushing against God. Perhaps today it's your chance to go, you know what? I actually am going to open my heart to see who you really are, God. Despite what I think of you, what is the truth? Or maybe you're sitting here today and and you're a faker. You haven't really given your life to Jesus. You've given your day to coming to church, but not your life to Jesus. Your life is still the same. You still do the same things that you know are wrong, that hurt you, that harm you, that harm others. Maybe that's you today. The calling of God is amazing and I just want to tell you a story about someone in my own life that I admire greatly who I would say had a great call in her life and her name is simply Mrs Sutherland. (laughs) Mrs Sutherland. It's funny when we think of the call of God that Like I said, it must be great, it must be something amazing and and known and seen by men. But Mrs Sutherland was a family friend for many years uh, with my family. She was certainly not charismatic, she was certainly not like, you know, a glamour that people would be attracted to or anything like that. She was a mum, she had a family, she lived an ordinary life. But Mrs Sutherland, as long as I knew her, up until probably two or three years ago, which is like 40 plus years, was doing the religious education in the schools in Darwin. She fought hard to keep it there. She fought hard that the gospel should go to the children in government schools, in fact in all schools, that that there would be this moment of time carved out in their month, their week, whatever it might be, where they have religious instruction. And so every now and then I did something for her with her and went to Stuart Park Primary School. And let me tell you this, there are kids in that, that, that school and you might think, oh, nobody's Christian, but there's a lot of kids that would be the Protestant, Catholic, um, Easter, uh, sorry, Greek Orthodox, um, those types of things. And I'd go in and maybe help with the Easter or, or Christmas program that they were doing. You know in that classroom, how many of those kids actually went to church? Probably one or two, maybe three at the most. Parents had to give permission for the kids to be there, but that was literally the only time that they got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because of a great preacher, but because of a lady who devoted her life to bringing that into the schools. The call of God, so simple, one thing, that she knew that God had placed on her heart and she worked tirelessly all that time until she got to the point of just being too old, exhausted, whatever it might be, to continue on in that role. That's a person who has accepted the call of God on their life. And I think it's amazing. And the reason I want to talk about that is because along with the choosing of God, which is our choice to enter in, there's also a call of God placed on your life, every single Christian, to do something for the kingdom of God somewhere. And yet, so many of us Sit, idle, not doing anything for God, thinking that it has to be some great, amazing thing, yet God's saying, why don't you just love your neighbour? They're struggling. The call of God on your life now is to take them a meal. But that doesn't sound all that exciting, and it certainly isn't prominent. But that's how the kingdom works. Do you remember the story? I don't know if you remember a story... um, We used to read it when I was a kid called the giant turnip. Has anyone ever heard of that story? Yep, there we go, one person. Why anyone would want to pull a turnip out of the ground to eat it is beyond me, but they did. They wanted to pull this turnip out. It was so big, so they went to try and pull it out. The farmer came, he couldn't pull it out. grabs the wife, kids, the village, whatever it might be. And at the very end, there's this tiny kid, I think it was, and they join and pull out this turnip. That's exactly what the kingdom of God is like. You know, you might think there's something big to do, really this turnip out of the ground, but actually it makes no difference if I help or not. That God wants to do something through a cornerstone, uh, but it doesn't matter if I help or not because there's some good strong people in this church. They can carry that load, they can do the work, they can do the prayer, they can do all that sort of stuff, they can inspire other people, they can disciple everyone in the church. But what if you are that one person that just grabs with one hand at the end and goes like that and all of a sudden something amazing happens? You didn't do much, it wasn't a great thing, It's exactly what God needed to get a breakthrough in this place. That's how important it is, guys. We've been chosen. We've been chosen to come to this wedding feast, but we've also been called, and that's what Jesus said at the end, that many are called, few are chosen. Maybe we could sort of change that around and say, many are called, but few choose. Because that's the way it really is in that story. Gideon, a man in the Bible that was chosen by God, an angel appeared to him and said, You mighty man of valor, God is with you. And he was like, Whatever. (laughs) I can't save Israel. Behold, my family is poor. In Manessa, and I am the least in my father's house. I am least in my father's house, and I love that story for what Gideon did down the road, which was actually great. But where did it start out? I'm the least, and you might think that you don't have anything important for God to do in your life, but I'm telling you today that you do, whether or not you are the poorest family here and you are the most least in that family, God has a call for you, a call into the kingdom and to live for him. So how about this, this, this week, you just spend a bit of time praying about it, thinking about it, what is the one thing, God, that you want me to do? Maybe it's a character change. Maybe it's a positive step towards someone why don't you just take a bit of time this week and reflect about those sorts of things. Think about all the things that God has given you and let him pour into your life with his Holy Spirit the things that you require to do the work that he has called you to. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we are chosen, that, Lord, your kingdom is an amazing place to enter into, that... We have this amazing wedding feast at the end of this world. Lord, we just pray today that we would enter into it. Lord, forgive us for where we have walked away from you, where we haven't, so, so to speak, got out of bed. Lord, open our eyes and open our hearts to understand who you are this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, maybe today that as I was talking, you recognise that you are that person that says, I've got too much else to do. But as I've been speaking, maybe God's just moved on your heart and you're like, oh man, I need Jesus so much. I just want to pray with you right now. I'm just going to pray a prayer to invite Jesus into your life, if that's you this morning. To make him Lord, don't miss out on a beautiful wedding feast because of your indifference. Because you've got more important things to do than your eternal salvation. Because today is the day of your salvation. If you choose it. Today is the day that you can actually give your life to God and begin to enter into the things of the kingdom. If that's you this morning, you just pray with me and we're going to ask Christ to come into your life. Father God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for not actually giving you first place in my life. I just ask today you'll forgive me. Thank you that Jesus died for me, that he rose again so that I might live forever and enter into the eternal kingdom. From this day on, I just want to live for you. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to live this life the way that you want me to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Now, if you've prayed that prayer, I'd just really love you to talk with the friends you came with, the family you came with. If you have no one with you, please come and see me afterwards. I'll be at the front because we allow people to get prayed for here. You might come up. We've got elders that can pray with you. I can pray with you. Um, just about anything. Maybe today you're like, I just want to hear God's call on my life. I actually don't know what he's calling me to now. We can come come up the front. We'll just pray that God will just open your ears and your eyes to see what it is. And just let him reveal himself to you.